Hello, Jets fans. It is a pretty good day to be a Winnipeg fan. Obviously, Winnipeg has had a couple of days off, but you know, as of right now, the Jets are currently uh, in second place in the Central, right behind Dallas. The Stars are in first by virtue of having played a few extra games, and they lead by one point. How does Winnipeg start so far rank in comparison to the last few years? And why is this team potentially feeling a little bit different than those squads? We'll investigate all of these questions and what lies ahead for the Jets on tonight's episode of Locked On, Winnipeg Jets. For Locked On, the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to tonight's episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Tarson Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. Doing so is completely free of charge and ensures you never miss another episode. But most of all, we just really love and appreciate your support. Now, like I said at the top of the episode, uh, you know, the Jets are currently sitting with a 9-4-1 record to start the year, which is pretty darn fantastic when you consider everything the Jets have faced so far. Obviously, a lot of adversity with injuries, um, a brand new coaching staff, which we didn't even get to see Rick Bonus for, you know, most of the first uh, couple of weeks. Bones had, you know, COVID and, and it was certainly in recovery. So the Jets have basically been working with like the assistant coaching staff and whoever else uh, has been healthy enough to both play and manage the game. So interesting start to the year. And I think in comparison to the last several seasons, um, the Jets have, for me, at least a different trajectory. Uh, the only team that I think obviously exceeds the start that this team has had was that magical 2017-2018 team. But even then, you know, what's funny is I remember uh, the first few games of that year, the Jets did not look particularly impressive, and it wasn't until Winnipeg started having um, like injury problems that the Jets rearranged the lineups, and suddenly Maurice found something that actually played pretty well. Speaking of that magical team, you know, I wanted to take a look at the records from that team starting then until now at around the same date, which we're going to use November 16th. That's today's publishing date anyways, so I thought it'd be fun to see how these teams have ranked um, and where this team is is kind of tracking in comparison to those squads. So Magic Team 2017-2018, uh, by November 16th, they were at 11-4-3. And, and I think at this point, the Jets were starting to look like a legitimate threat. Uh, I don't recall them being the dominant force that they were later in the season at this stage, but I think the Jets had had a couple of injuries up until this point, and Hellebuck was looking like he was in really good form. The Jets' defense was dominant. Um, and Winnipeg's forward lines, while still not, you know, um, you know, not not featuring the presence of Paul Stastny, were still proving to create some really good offensive opportunities. And the team was starting to look like a squad that maybe had some real playoff potential. Um, but, you know, the following seasons, the team wasn't really playing that brand of hockey, if we're being honest. The decline wasn't like Cliff uh, Cliff fall, I would say it wasn't that fast. Um, but 
you know, 2018, 2019, the Jets started off with an 11, five and two record. And, you know, you look at their divisional rankings, they finished again, second in the division, very similar to the previous season's team. But you started to notice that in terms of offensive creation and defensive structure, something was going amiss with this team. Uh, Obviously, Winnipeg did take a step back from a roster quality perspective. They lost a lot of their trade deadline acquisitions. And, um, you know, you could start to see the, 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 the plot changing for this team. You know, 2017-2018 was definitely the year to win the Cup. And after that, the Jets were, at that point, just bleeding talent and starting to stagnate under Maurice. But 2018-2019, it wasn't quite in full effect at this point, but you could start to see the early worrying signs that the Jets were trending down. And then 2019-2020, I'm going to skip one season after this, but um, this season was one of the last before covid kind of change the landscape. And it's why I'm not going to use the next season just because their calendar did not quite align nicely. But at this time for, you know, November 16th, the Jets were rocking to 12, eight and one, and you were starting to see the struggles defensively. uh, Plus Hellebuck not being able to bail the team out every single night, starting to put together a mix of a team that looked at best like a 500 squad. Now the Jets still um, did qualify for the playoffs, but obviously they didn't really do Uh, a crazy amount. I think this was the year that Shifley broke his collarbone. And that's when you started seeing Winnipeg um, (laughs) really develop this, this hatred of the flames. It it kind of all seemed to kick off during this postseason run and it was frustrating. It was, it was painful. Uh, And and obviously you would kind of hope that Winnipeg would have a better start, but you know, that, that season I, I would say was, the first one where there was a definite downward spiral for the team. You could see the trajectory was not going in the direction that the Jets were hoping for. And even though they did make the playoffs, you started to suspect that it wouldn't be a long run. Even though we were kind of thinking maybe the Flames would be a team the Jets could beat, you know, honestly, the more we thought about it, um, and especially with the loss of Shifley, you could just see that the, the seeds for Winnipeg's thought process of eventually needing to rebuild were starting to be planted. Uh, if not within the team, certainly within some members of the fan base, you know, this was where Maurice was really starting to stagnate and things were not looking too great. Um, and the, the the final season that we're going to talk about before the current run, you know, that was 2021 to 2022. Uh, this was a, a relatively regular scheduled season. So thankfully we can align it more properly. Uh, and again, by November 16th, the Jets had a 9-3-3 and record, but did anyone really believe this team was that good? I, I personally didn't. I think even though they were able to outscore their opponents by a decent margin, you sort of suspected that some of the teams they were beating up on were like the Oilers, the Hawks, um, the Sharks, and Kings, squads that were for the most part all rebuilders. Uh, you look at their losses and you see um, after that initial run through November, the, the second half of November was atrocious. The Jets lost like five or six games. And, you know, the, the mood with the team was down. The players didn't seem happy. And, you know, that year, obviously, the Jets missed the postseason and finished sixth in the division. So you can kind of see a trend from 2017, 2018. Everything has been headed towards the pooper. This team has a similar record to the Jets of the last several years at, at around, you know, the middle point of November. But I really do think that this team might be destined for something a little bit better this time around. And we'll talk about why I think that is for this team and uh, just how far I think this Jets team can go in just a little bit. 
Before we go any further, though, I did want to uh, shout out our friends and partners. They are bringing with us this, this episode this evening. Uh, and of course, I am referring to our friends at Built Bar. If you are wondering um, you know, why I'm talking about Built, you've probably heard me mention it at least once or twice before if you listen to this podcast. If you're totally new to this podcast, well, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It's the only protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a 100% real chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. Obviously, a lot of you who are eating protein bars on the regular, you're looking for something that's low in calories, maybe got some you know healthy fats, and also comes loaded with protein. Well, Bill Bars have all of that. They've got 17 grams of protein and around 130 calories per bar, which is crazy. But you know, even better than that are the flavor selections. You've got great stuff like cookie dough topper, coconut brownie bar, coconut brownie topper. They've also got um, a white chocolate peppermint granola flavor. Uh, this is Bilt's take on the classic granola bar, but with that little bit of holiday spirit with those candy cane flavors and, of course, some delicious white chocolate. You know, this is a really great time to get in on it because you can get all of these wonderful flavors plus a great supply and choice of their original flavors. If you can't really pick on just one flavor or even a couple, they also have a variety box that lets you try around 12 or so different flavors. Uh, it's a great value option if you want to find the flavor that fits you best. And again, this really is the best time to give it a shot. Right now, they also have a promotion for those of you listening. You can get 15% off your order right now by using code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com when you're checking out. I highly recommend Built Bars. Uh, my personal recommendation is the dark chocolate raspberry. So if you're getting a, a mix box, be sure to check that one and give it a shot. And again, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON15 at checkout for 15% off your order. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. Uh, we're talking about how Winnipeg has started off in the past and why some of those season starts didn't feel particularly great or, or um, didn't really instill a lot of confidence in Jets fans versus this team that's starting to feel a little bit different despite having a similar record. Before we go into why I think the trajectory of this year's Jets might be, you know, something to be optimistic about for the first time in years. I don't want to recommend that you make your second listen of the day locked on sports today. It helps take you behind the scenes and go beyond the scoreboard with the games that matter and the biggest stories in sports. We bring you our local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. So be sure to subscribe to Locked On Sports today on all of your favorite podcasting platforms and YouTube. It's free as always. And again, we really love and appreciate your support and hope you'll share uh, your time with us as we get to chat about sports and cover the biggest stories every single day. Now, circling back to Winnipeg, uh, obviously, you know, the, the start to the season has been interesting because across the board, small sample, yes, but comparatively speaking, the Jets are mostly similar in terms of like expected goal share to what they were in previous years. You know, that's not a particularly great place for the Jets to be because it tends to lean towards conceding more opportunities than they're generating. But when you look at a game by game basis, that's where you're starting to see some interesting stories because the average is not great. Uh, but individually, I would say Winnipeg has played some of its most impressive games uh, on multiple occasions this year than it has honestly, across the last couple of years. Um, if we're being honest, Winnipeg hasn't had a ton of games in previous seasons where you could really say that they outplayed their opponents and even controlled the game against quality teams. It, you know, It's not like they haven't done it ever, but it's a lot less frequent in the past couple of seasons. 
this year, the Jets feel a little bit different. Uh, obviously, Winnipeg has had some very big lows, uh, even though they've won or scratched out points in those games. Obviously, the way that they played was not sustainable, and, and Bonus has even called them out, even though he might not have been behind the bench for those games. He wasn't happy with their effort, felt that their organization was poor, yada, yada, yada. But through all of that, I, I think the Jets have shown a couple of interesting traits. For one thing, I've mentioned it recently, but resiliency is a big one. This team doesn't seem to quit. Uh, and I think that's really important for when the Jets are are fighting for those extra standings points, uh, locked in playoff battles, and trying to grind through the Central Division with a roster that doesn't exactly have an extraordinary amount of depth, if we're being honest, right? You know, Ehlers going out should have killed this team. Somehow, Bones and the coaching staff have managed to coax enough out of the squad to still stay afloat and actually rise to the top three of the division. But, you know, long term, you know, you could obviously expect that this is something that would be hard to maintain, especially with the amount of players that are kind of being asked to punch a little bit above their weight. Um, but thinking about the Jets this year, all that said, the vibes are good. I think that is a really important thing to point out, because when you have a really dysfunctional locker room with a lack of leadership past couple of years, that's been a problem. And I think it's really shown uh, just how difficult the situation has been on the ice. Guys look like they hated each other. Uh, you know, Stastny at the press conference at the end of last year sounded like he was just done with his teammates. He wanted to go elsewhere. And it's crazy because I think more than anything, at one point, he wanted to stick around long term and be part of this team's uh, cup window. But that all sort of went to the, the byway and the Jets since haven't really recovered. But this year's team feels good. Uh, I don't know what it is about it yet. Um, you know, I can say tactically that, yes, the Jets D are more aggressive. They're jumping into the play. The Jets are finding more ways to create offense, even though the actual roster talent is limited. It feels like the PK has improved. Um, at even strength, the Jets are are doing more offensively and, and playing more ambitious hockey, even though they're still conceding a lot of scoring opportunities and not everyone has quite cleanly flipped. Uh, fit into those systems, but you see the foundations for something that's better. Um, and I think just the fact that the players are buying in is already a win. I think that's a big improvement in pre over previous seasons. The guys seem to be, to be in a better mood. And I think that for the Jets is a positive step in the right direction. Longer term, you know, the Jets need to figure out the overall organizational goal and, and plan for this team. You know, Bones has his own vision for what he wants this team to do. And so far, it's yielding some interesting results. But, you know, whether that's going to be enough to carry this team to a playoff spot still does remain to be seen. But Hellebuck playing as well as he is gives the Jets a lot of room to experiment. And I think that is fantastic news if Winnipeg's goal this year is to make the postseason. The more Hellebuck can save, the more the Jets can kind of figure out how to arrange this lineup how to get the guys to buy into the systems, and how to prepare for some very difficult playoff hockey in uh, a handful of months. So, you know, something about this team feels different. The mood around it seems improved. Everyone seems to be really thrilled with the change of pace. Uh, I'm sure there's still tension on the back end in certain parts of the organization, but look, change is going to be slow. It's going to be painful. And if nothing else, you know, the Jets are way more fun to watch. And as a fan, that's all I could really ask for. So, uh, let's hope that it turns from fun into some real concrete results and maybe, just maybe, a trophy at the end of it in uh, uh, by the summertime. But 
us, you know, take it a little bit slower and get to that point as it happens and cross that bridge when it's time. Now, to close this out for tonight's episode, there were uh, one or two points that I thought were going to be interesting to talk about from practice and from some of the recent rumors linking the Jets to the Sens as a potential trade partner for a defender. We'll talk about what this might mean for Winnipeg in just a little bit. Hello, friends, and welcome back to these closing thoughts on tonight's episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets. Uh, you know, we're just covering a couple of quick little tidbits that popped up. One from a recent line scrimmage. Uh, the Jets' lines for their game against Pittsburgh appear to have Sam Gagne on the first line in place of Mason Appleton. Appleton did go out with an injury during the last game, um, and, and so that wasn't ideal. Uh, sucks for him. Obviously, he was playing against the former team that he got picked in the expansion draft for, the Kraken, and you were hoping that he would have a really nice outing. Instead, it got cut short, um, and I'm sure he's very frustrated about that. Uh, in terms of like that line's performance, though, Appleton, unfortunately, has been the guy who's really struggled the most on that unit. And Gagne has been a player who has shown that at least that, uh, you, know, you know, on the power play and stuff and even at even strength and a depth, a depth role, he's been very creative. He's got a great uh, set of passing skills. His vision and spatial awareness are very good. And he's got a pretty decent shot. Sam just seems to know how to attack the offensive zone, and that's always, for me, been a hallmark of his game. I don't know why he doesn't really get credit for it, because maybe the expectations of, of what he was supposed to be for the Oilers never really panned out. But what the Jets have found for him for like 750 k is a, an amazing player for almost no money. I mean, you know, Gagne for me is kind of like a much more limited um, version of Matthew Perot. Now Perot could almost elevate any line and do, you know, did a ton for transition and stuff that Gagne doesn't really focus on. But all that said, Sam's been a great plug and play player. I'm hoping that if he goes on that first line, he can really do some good work while Ehlers is still recovering. Sam kind of proving that he is a player who could slide in into the top six more frequently, I think would give the jets a nice finishing boost. And, you know, certainly on the power play, he's been a real asset as soon as he swapped in for Wheeler the other night, uh, the Jets immediately got a great Shifley goal from it because, you know, Gagne is a much more dangerous presence in the slot and it has an extra layer of creativity. So happy to see Sam shine. Um, and now that he's getting a first line spot that I think he's done enough to earn, we'll see if he can actually run with it. The second piece of business to talk about involves a, uh, a Merrick podcast note recently talking about the Jets and Sens and Vancouver Canucks potentially looking at trades for defenders. The Sens are the ones doing the shopping, and the Jets and you know Canucks are the ones with a surplus that they want to dump. Now, I've seen a lot of buzz on Twitter about who might be up for, for trade, and it's been a tough um, elimination process because the Jets have a surplus on the left side, but the right side is where all of their really bad contracts are. Um, and I think it leads to a natural question of, what exactly is Ottawa hoping to buy? Are they looking for a scoring defender? Are they looking for somebody like Dylan DeMello, who's on a really good value contract and is a great stabilizing force for your top four? I think on Ottawa is probably targeting somebody like um, like DeMello. They don't have a ton of cap space to work with necessarily. And I think DeMello, being a former Sen himself and being somebody who can be on their right side, which is where they have the biggest need, that, for me, makes him the most likely target. Now, I think that would be a huge mistake for the Jets to trade him, especially if they're trying to make the postseason. DeMello is the kind of guy who can balance just about any pairing he's on, and he has made 
players like Stanley and Sandberg play really clean games. He's helped Morrissey unlock a lot more of his offensive skill sets and tools. And DeMello is just a guy who's like a very every down kind of player. You know, he's not going to be fancy. He's not going to be this extremely skilled goal scorer. But what you're getting with him is a guy who has given the Jets great pairings, whoever he's been playing with for the most part. So I think the Jets really need to stay away from DeMello being the option. Um, Now, when it comes to Pianca Schmidt, I don't think either of them are getting traded. Both are kind of like vibes, leader-y kind of guys, and I think the Jets really like that. Schmidt has also proven that he plays really well if you give him the right partner. Uh, he's got great transition skills. Uh, he's been doing a good job with uh, Brendan Dillon you know, on the left side. So I, I don't think Schmidt is the guy. Pionk, for me, could be a choice. Um, but like again, like I said in the past, you know, Neil's kind of a fan favorite. People love his personality. He exudes a lot of accountability and joy. And I think those traits and his natural leadership on the ice, to me, it just doesn't seem like the player that the Jets would want to offload. Um, On the left side, you know, you could see like a Logan Stanley trade, but Logan is also not really being paid that much if we're being truthful. And the Jets are often very funny about, you know, controlling salaries and making sure that they're getting good value from their players. So I think Logan's probably not on the list. The player that I kind of circle to the most is Dylan. I, I think Brendan Dylan is the guy who might end up being the odd man out because the Jets have a clog on the left side. Um, Sandberg is proving that he can handle his defensive duties well enough and could probably do it alongside Schmidt if he had to. And you've got Heinola, who brings a lot of dynamism and puck moving skill to your back end that needs a third pairing spot so that he can assist a little bit at even strength and also feature heavily on the power play. I think that there is a genuine need for this team's blue line to get faster and more aggressive. And, you know, Heinle's tool sets offer a little more than how the Jets are currently arranged. Uh, I say a little bit more, but it's probably a lot of bit more if we're being honest. The Jets definitely need puck moving skill. And Dylan, I think, has done the best that he can with it. It's just it's not really the way that he plays. He's a big shutdown defensive type who can still lead charges and stuff up the ice, and he's actually gotten pretty decent at it, but he doesn't have the deftness uh, and finesse of somebody like Heinola, which the Jets are still looking for. So I I kind of feel like Dylan might be the guy, but he's also another vibey fight for the badge kind of player. Also, he's pretty darn good. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a tough call, but I think the Jets really need to be careful about um, surrendering any of their players that are really good value players that elevate their pairings. Uh, that that could really hurt them. And it's not like the Sens have a ton to offer Winnipeg in terms of assets. It'd probably be a couple of futures, maybe like some really low end futures or something, maybe like a third round pick, second round pick if we're lucky. Uh, but the Sens would also want to offload salary. And I guess Matthew Joseph would make the most sense. Joseph is a player who tends to thrive alongside really good skill. Um, I think he would do really good job with like David Gustafson. He's got finishing talent. He can be a PKer. So he has some versatility in a middle six role. And I think his, his price on his contract is really cheap at a level where the jets would be willing to take the money on. So a lot of things to consider. Um, I just hope the jets are careful and make the right choice. They do need to trade a defender, but they have to be ensuring that they don't give away the wrong one, right? That would be really rough for a season that so far has shown a lot of promise, but I'd be curious to know which players you're thinking are are on the chopping block. 
Let me know what defender you would be willing to trade first, or maybe even last if it is that way on the YouTube comment section below or at my social medias at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For tonight's episode, though, that is going to be all the time that we have. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. You can catch up on the biggest stories of the day in sports and get instant reactions, big game recaps, and our famous take of the day. Locked On Sports Today, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As always, it is free to subscribe, so do so right now. And as always, thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.